Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons. It's an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, final day of August, uh, which means football season right around the corner. It's coming up. It's coming up, whether you thought it was going to happen or not. It, it, it does seem like it's going to arrive as scheduled. Um, September 12th, at least, seems to be the initial game for Syracuse at the moment. That'll be at North Carolina. We uh, will have a full, like, traditional preview um, on that front next week. But this week is kind of a – this would have been really preview week if the initial schedule had kind of stayed intact. Um, so if you're wondering why we had this weird gap week between the season preview episode and the uh, week one episode, that's why. Yeah, makes for a kind of a strange week because uh, there's not like a lot to uh, – you know, we got through a lot over the last few weeks just kind of waiting for something to happen, and uh, nothing really did. We're moving forward as planned, so we have a, kind of a free week. Yeah, we have a free week, but uh, as always, we're, we, we always do find a way to talk about something Syracuse-related. Um, so I guess first and foremost, uh, Dino talked to the local press today and had some interesting things to say. Uh, it seems like injuries have become a pretty big deal um, this offseason. That's not a great sign uh, for a team that kind of had limited experience depth. Um, that's in key positions. Um, in particular, he was asked about Abdul Adams and Jarvin Howard. Uh, Stephen Bailey was uh, pretty eagle-eyed on that front and noticed that neither player uh, was in any of the uh, the pictures or videos that were provided on social media. And, and Babers had this to say, uh, I think that you've got both of those guys' telephone numbers, emails, and Twitter accounts, so you can talk to them directly and find out exactly what's going on. I think so... the funniest possible answer is that they're actually at practice and just people didn't see them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that, that would be the most Syracuse answer, really. Um, <laughs> But, but but I feel like Dino um, Dino's response definitely makes this a lot more difficult of a like like it's not Dino's fault, but I do think like it's it's purposefully like passive aggressive and cryptic in that like it very much seems like at least one of them isn't playing. Yeah, it's um, I mean, just like that's like really the only possibility is that like they're at least considering opting out or something, right? Because if they were hurt. Like, obviously, like, the, the school doesn't talk about injuries specifically, but I feel like, if, yeah, but I feel like if they were hurt, like, they would say, like, oh, yeah, he's hurt. We're not going to tell you what it is or how bad it is, but they're, they're banged up. Um, they certainly, we certainly wouldn't give the don't talk to them yourself uh, answer, which is just strange. Um, so it's standing it, policy is don't talk to players directly. Yeah, that also that, um, which is, like, pretty much how almost all big colleges uh, deal with stuff. Um so yeah, just very strange. Uh, certainly indicates that we have some kind of uh, upheaval in the running back core. But um, you know, we just talked about these guys last week. Like we thought, you know, they have like at least like a little bit of overlap. But at least as long as we had like one of those two guys plus Jawar Jordan, like we'd be in pretty good shape in the running back position. Um, if we don't have either of them, like I think we're both. You know, we talked about last week. We're very high on Jawar. I think he's more of a change of pace, kind of like explosive play guy. Um, it makes for a pretty. Uh, you know, we go from like a pretty deep group to a pretty shallow group real quick. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this like years ago. Um, one of the reasons why Dante Strickland remained the uh, the starting running back over Mo Neal, who everyone thought was a little more explosive, was because Strickland was able to call out coverage um, and, and recognize defenses pretty easily uh, compared to Neal, um, at least in the early part of, of his career. So now you have a situation where, you know, Jordan's barely seen the field. Um, like Chris Elmore, I guess, is back in the rotation maybe um, as a fullback and maybe more. Um, Marquenze Pierre becomes someone that you consider. But again, Pierre hasn't really seen a ton of field time, especially over the last season, season and a half. Um, and then, yeah, you've got Sean Tucker, who, uh, you know, a, a true freshman, but a speedy guy similar to Jawar. Um, maybe you switch Marlo Wax back uh, from linebacker as he uh, he's originally recruited as running back and then switched over. Um, in the off season. So maybe you bring him back because really like after Garrison Johnson left, uh, Garrison Johnson was around like 235, 240. Uh, he was your power back um, until, you know, he, he departed. So maybe, you know, wax becomes, um, you know, your power back this year. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I think this, this gets pretty rough pretty quickly um, just from an experience standpoint. It doesn't mean that these players can't succeed. I think they can. Uh, but I think there's going to be some some things kind of under the surface 
um, in particular that, uh, that, you know, calling out um, coverage, maybe some blocking, like those types of things that take some time um, for, for a lot of players. I feel like th- that's the type of stuff that won't show up on the stat sheet, even, even in a good season, um, but could be sorely missed for Syracuse. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I think, like, if you're just talking about running the football, um, I think running back's one of the positions where you could really plug someone in, like a freshman. We've seen so many freshman running backs do really good things, and it's a lot of it's dependent off the line play and everything else. But um, the Strickland uh, example is really strong because he did all the little things that didn't exactly show up. So even, like, you know, if you had a, a kind of a mega game where he, you know, ran the ball 15 times for, like, 52 yards – um, you know, didn't light the world on fire in that regard. He might have done a lot of the small things in the passing game, um, in the blocking assignments, in the actual blocking itself, which is a huge part, um, both for running backs and wide receivers. If you have like just some effort there, it, it can really spring bid plays um, to like really make a difference. And, and coaches will always rely on those guys. And that's that, those are things that, that running backs don't tend to pick up until they've been in systems for like a year or two. So um, I think we could get by in terms of like just the rushing offense. Um, but there will be some major consequences, I think, if we don't have experienced players back there who can help DeVito out in the backfield um, and do those little things. So hopefully uh, hopefully these guys come back and, and or, or at least we like kind of learn what's going on. And, and now that it's kind of out there, I assume, you know, multiple reporters are on it. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely uh, not what we expected. Um, you know, if there was going to be an opt-out, you kind of just expect an opt-out. Like we've, we've had one already. Um, we've had, you know, Jamar Chase at LSU, arguably the best still position player in the country, opted out yesterday um, after rumors over the weekend. So, you know, hopefully we at least get, like, some information. If they opt out, like, they opt out, I don't think anyone here is going to hold that against them, considering everything that's going on. But it's just very straight, strange for it to play out the way it has. Yeah, I think across the country, really, like, you've seen opt-outs handled very different ways. Um, I'm sure there's a little bit of gamesmanship for week one uh, in particular. Uh, for ACC teams, since they're starting a little bit earlier than I think, because aren't SEC teams starting later in the month? SEC is uh, September 26th. Right. Uh, ACC is the 12th. Well, really the yeah. 10th. Miami plays on the 10th. Um, and then Big 12 is the same. They're the 12th. So, yeah. Um, so I almost feel yeah, like Big 12, yeah, Big 12 and ACC maybe trying a little gamesmanship um, in terms of whether players are opting out or not. Um, we haven't, again, other than Cooper Dawson, and that was like a month ago, uh, we haven't really heard a ton. Um, about Syracuse players, I'm assuming we end up seeing uh, at least a couple um, guys sit. But yeah, th- th- this is this is definitely an interesting development. Um, you know, kind of continuing on that Strickland point too. Um, if you remember, like Strickland's production um, rushing the football, like didn't necessarily jump off the page, and yet he, you know, he did get um, you know a camp deal with uh, with Arizona uh, coming out, and like. Again, it's a testament to, to those little things. And I think, I think, you know, maybe down, like maybe some of these guys can pick it up. Maybe it ends up not being a big issue, but I think the bigger problem is that it seems like Dino's noted a couple times now, offensive line problems and issues. Uh, we still don't know if Chris Bleich is going to be playing um, at, at guard. And, and that's definitely uh, problematic. Um, no, no hurry NCAA. <laughs> yeah. No hurry NCAA. It seems only like less than two weeks away. Uh, there's supposed to be maybe a depth chart next week. Uh, I mean, let's hope. SU is really not obligated to release a depth chart at this point, I don't believe. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like, it's nice for us, and it's good talking points and, like, what to expect, but, like... Unless it's garbage, which it might be. That's the other problem, is, like, Babers' depth charts mean basically nothing. <laughs> they, they're, they're, like... They're the previous week's depth chart. <laughs> they're basically, like, a fat simile of what it might look like, but there's no guarantee that they're accurate whatsoever, so... Like it's good for content, I guess, and that's that's you know we're in the content business. But um, in terms of like actually getting insights into what the what the game plan will look like, not so much. Yeah, not really, not really gonna help us out there. Um, I know Dino also mentioned linebacker injuries. That's another uh, problem area, uh, if only because we uh, we don't really know what's going on at linebacker to begin with. Um, I know we talked about it last week. Uh, you know, in camp, it seemed like that uh, Steve Linton. Uh, was one of the players, and uh, Jeff uh, Cantonarku would also like become two of the players that were, you know, surprising um, names at the top of the depth chart back in March. Uh, we've yet to see an update since then, and now, now we end up with a situation where if there's injuries there, you wonder who those names are. We don't really know. Uh, we also don't really know like 
much about any of these linebackers save Tyrell Richards. And we also don't know really much about these linebackers in a three, three, five scheme since that's what Syracuse switched to over the off season. So I like I'm going to remain virtually optimistic about what the season could be. Um, despite my why Syracuse will go three and eight post today. Um, I think there's reasons for optimism. And I even mentioned in the comments that like, um, you know, SP plus in particular being low on us is, is almost entirely attributable to, um, some departing uh, production and and uh, recruiting kind of at the lower part of the ACC. And I think that's understandable that, you know, with no games to really go on, that, that an advanced metric would view SU poorly there. But I think there's some, some, some upside for Syracuse that's not necessarily captured there. I think that injuries, though, are not going to help us realize it. Yeah, I mean, I guess like – the, the the like way you can really uh, sell it is that like we didn't really know much about the linebacker production to begin with, so um, we just don't really know what we're missing out on. But obviously, like you hope that the team has as many uh, options and as much depth available uh, as possible available. So um, yeah, this whole season is going to be a bit of an adventure. Um, I think we kind of have our expectations pretty well calibrated to where they should be, and we also like there's also a chance like I, I saw like last week. Um, there are just, I think there are too many bowls already set, assuming bowls still happen, uh, that like we have way more bowl spots than we have teams available. So there's a good chance we're going to be playing in a bowl anyway, no matter what happens. Which <laughs> Unless there are I no know, bowls. I know, yeah, or, or there's no bowls, and then we wouldn't have been playing even if we won eight games. Um, I know that's like, you know, it's kind of stupid to set your expectation as just make a bowl when that could be like, oh, we're two and, te- or two and uh, eight, we're playing we're playing in, in the, uh, the Sun Bowl. But... Um, you know, if, if you want to hang your head on that as a thing, like it's, it's, we talked about, you know, we've talked about a couple times. It's really hard to just translate over like our normal expectations to whatever the season will be because our schedule makeup is so different. Um, we're playing kind of a gauntlet ACC schedule that doesn't really resemble the one we usually play, even though we usually get the, you know, tough end of the stick with Clemson and Florida State when they're decent and, you know, whatever rotating third Atlanta team is good for the year, uh, depending on who we have our for our crossovers as well. Um, so it's just like, just hope the team plays hard and we see some like real development from last year. It's, it's, you know, I'm not going to go crazy over win numbers, honestly, um, until we really get a sense of what this team is. I agree. I mean, I, I see, and I said this in the comments of the three and eight post, like there's a realistic path where a, a, an improved Syracuse team goes three and eight here. Um, you know, and you and I talked about those toss up games last year, like traditionally on a, on a Syracuse schedule, there's four toss up games, um, and that kind of goes to my, like, you know, every season Syracuse wins four, loses four. Um, and then it's, it's everything else is predicated on what happens in the middle. So that middle is typically BC, Wake, NC State, Pitt. Um, for the most part, peer programs, programs we face every season. Um, and, and our seasons have kind of risen and fallen based on what we do uh, against those squads. Uh, so those four games are like the four most winnable games other than Liberty on the schedule this year. <laughs> Maybe Duke is, is the other team you throw in that list um, and think they're all at home. That's not a great sign uh, for, for, for SU to be able to to kind of win six or seven. But I, I guess stranger things have happened. I mean, honestly, if, if we go 4-0 and against that group, then uh, then I, I'd be pleasantly surprised. But I, I think I think in a realistic season where Syracuse, is, Syracuse has transitioned to the new schemes well, uh, deals with minimal injuries once the season gets rolling, you know, I think if you go two and two in that, I think that's a, I think that's a success. And then, you know, the rest of the season, we'll kind of see what happens. But I, uh, I, I think three and eight, even for a better team is very much in the cards. Um, if you just look at how the schedule lays out, um, the fact that, you know, like we don't know a ton about, about like there, there's reasons to doubt most of the teams on the schedule in one way or another. Um, and that, but that goes for us too. Like, you know, Duke kind of has a lot of questions on offense, but looks like they have a stout defense. Wake seems like they, like if they can replace Sage Sherratt, then the defense still needs to actually show up. And they really don't have a lot there beyond the front four. Um, you know, Pitt lost Jalen Twyman, but still has one of the better defenses in, in football, but also doesn't have really much of an offense to speak of. Like I can go down the list, but realistically, like there, there's a lot of uneven teams and it could just be a lucky or unlucky in our case here break um, here and there that kind of dictates how Syracuse can, you know, could dictate the difference between a five and six or a six and five season and something like three and eight um, for, for, for a team that's, you know, similarly talented. 
Yeah, I could definitely see like a uh, us having like a weird Pythagorean like five win projection and and go three and eight or or you know seven and seven and four. Who knows? Or seven and how many games do we play this year? Ten? No, eleven. We play 11. Yeah, uh, seven and four. I, I haven't now. figured out <laughs> the number of games yet because so just yes. just just lap Liberty right off that list. Oh God. Um, yeah, it's uh, just just bizarre. It's like I have no I have no idea what to make of this. We have so little information. It's just so so strange to try to approach this season with any sense of normalcy. So, well, we'll see where we we'll see what's up soon enough. I mean, once we get into that UNC game, I'm sure we'll have a totally different perspective, and that will probably overly shape everything that we think. But uh, you know, that's pretty normal anyway for college football. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree there. Um, Dan, before we hit halftime, um, we didn't do this just because of how weird everything was um, in the off season. But based on who is playing this fall, did you want to, did you want to kind of commit uh, to your four playoff picks, assuming that the playoff will be uh, put together following the, uh, the normal regular season and not the like extended regular season that goes into spring. I mean, they're not going to like have the ACC, SEC and bid 10, bid 12 play, uh, through December, and then just have them wait for three months. I mean, um, it's college football. They could really I, do anything. It's true. No, I think the playoff is in a, I think, assuming we get through the season, which is a big if, um, I think they'll just kind of do a regular playoff, and then I think if the Big Ten and Pac-12 happen to, like, get their stuff together and, like, play uh, play the same year, basically, play the same schedule, which has been floated, but as we know, like, these conferences say they're working together until it's very clear they're absolutely not working together. But, like, I think the most likely scenario there is, like, we'll get a, four, a 14 playoff with those leagues, uh, and then we'll probably maybe get, like, a Rose Bowl in the spring or something to determine. Definitely, like, definitely getting a Rose Bowl. We got a Rose Bowl where so Ohio State can claim a national championship, and then Ohio State and whoever fans will yell at each other all all year about who the actual national champion is. And really, neither will be right because we'll have no idea. Um, so fun. So it's like old college football, honestly. It's like college football pre, pre-BCS. Yeah, it's gonna be or, like a 1996 or during that. the BCS when there were too many teams. <laughs> yeah, the uh, the USC LSU split year. Yep. Slash uh, the year that Auburn was like lurking there with uh, undefeated. I think they were undefeated and didn't get into the BCS national championship. Yeah. Uh, the sport's so smart, guys. Um, yeah. So for my four teams, I think Clemson just feels like a lock. Uh, it's just hard not to imagine them in there. Um, I think didn't we both pick Oklahoma State, or at least I did. Um, to win the Big Twelve, like yeah, we both picked OK State. God, that's so weird. Uh, that's probably gonna look awful, but um, I guess I have to go with OK State just because, like, if you win the Big Twelve, even if you have two losses, you're probably gonna get in, right? I mean, unless Oklahoma went, unless Oklahoma went what eleven and one, ten and one. I think they're playing eleven. Um, okay, yeah, they're playing. Yeah, they're playing. They're playing ten games, right? No, they're playing. They have a plus one. Uh, I think some schools do. I don't know if everyone scheduled a plus one. But they're right. They I mean, a plus one, the plus one, then it just gets into ten. And then there's, and then they were playing eleven. Oh, right. Game. They have nine games. Okay, yeah. No. Yeah, I forgot they have the, the, you know, they have ten teams. Uh, yeah, so they're playing ten games. Uh, this is all this math. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, like if Oklahoma goes ten and one, and the only loss is the Big Twelve title game. Well, if they lose to Okie State in the regular season, or or they beat Okie State and then lose in the in the title yeah. game, the title game. Yeah, that's what um, I was kind of getting at. And then, like, let's say OK State is like a nine and two um, Big Twelve champ, but Oklahoma is a ten and one team that also beat Oklahoma State at one point during the season. Yeah, and Oklahoma, like we all know, that people respect Oklahoma more. Um, but I feel we're stupid, like picking Oklahoma State to win the league a couple weeks ago, and then not picking them to go in the, to the Final Four. So I'm going to do that, just as you know, who cares? That's what we're we're rolling with it. Um, and then uh, Alabama. Um, I think I said a couple weeks ago, like if you are going to bet on anyone to handle this situation well, it, it has to be Nick Saban. Um, he's like, if he's the only one who handles this well, I wouldn't be surprised. So, uh, yeah, so I, I think Alabama feels pretty lucky, um, assuming they get their quarterback thing figured out. But even if it's Matt Jones, I think they'll be, they'll be more than fine. Um, and then I'll go with Georgia. Um, just based on the talent level, I think talent's going to really be important this this year, even more so than most seasons when it's already extremely important. But also, they're like you know a pretty well situated team. They know what they're doing. I don't quite buy the Florida breakout quite yet, at least in terms of superseding Georgia. Um, so I think we'll get an Alabama Georgia uh, double uh, SEC, um, aided by the fact there are fewer teams. I'll roll with Oklahoma State. It's a weird four seed. Clemson's in there. Um, I'm going to take Alabama to win it all. I just I think. 
there's so much unknown. You got to roll with the with the dice you know. And Nitsaben will be prepared more prepared than anyone else. Um, you can make the argument that Dabo will be there too. Although Clemson's had like a, a weird, a, kind of not a great off season for them. Um, obviously they have Lawrence and Etienne, so they're in good shape, but not great shape. They lost, um, you know, basically their really good receiver core is pretty decimated now. They have some questions uh, at other spots, so I think they'll they'll win the ACC without much of an issue, but. Um, I, I think Bama really has it. Um, they don't have any major, major opt-outs yet. They have a ton of firepower on offense. Either quarterback, Jones or Bryce Young, I think will be good enough to win that league. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm going with. That's totally fair. And honestly, like, I, I think there's reasons to doubt Clemson. Like, realistically, you know, in recent years when I've looked at the, like, position-by-position position rankings in the conference, um, there's definitely been – a consensus that Clemson has like the first or second best uh, unit in most positions. And I feel like this year that was the case at like quarterback running back. And that was pretty much it. Um, So I I know a lot of people like are willing to kind of crown Clemson, like the best team in the country based on, you know, returning players and and in particular the return of Lawrence and ETN. But like, I don't think they're as head and shoulders above the rest of the ACC as they had been in some years past. And I think they especially aren't in a season where UNC looks very much improved and Notre Dame is in the league. Um, I still think they could potentially and probably will go undefeated against this group. Um, I actually think they're going to face North Carolina um, in the uh, in the ACC title game, though, which could be uh, at least a little interesting. Uh, UNC would be my, like, dark, dark horse pick to make the playoff, but... I think realistically, I think Clemson's one, um, Bama's two. I'm picking Florida three, Georgia four. I, I think that the Big 12, if we're subscribing to the the idea that Oklahoma beats OK State, no, beats OK State in the regular season but loses them in the um, championship, I think a two-loss OK State gets stiff-armed out, and I think that the powers that be – um, don't really respect the rest of Oklahoma's schedule because I think that like the ceiling for the rest of the Big 12 might be like, you know, a three or four loss team. So I, I think you end up with a very biased um, three SEC team playoff uh, plus Clemson. And uh, and I will also give Alabama the championship there. Yep, I think that's that's really like possible. I think there's also a good chance that like voting doesn't really work the same way as it normally does just because there's so much different and like, Maybe if we think there's a big discrepancy between the SEC and the Big 12, which is generally the case um, in terms of what's perceived at, at the very least, um, maybe the Big 12 just bots out, like you said, which would be really funny in a, in a, in a three-power conference. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it so much outrage. Oh, God. Like, it'd be really funny to be the like to watch the, the fans of the top team get mad. Um, even if it's like super clear they're not one of the four best teams. Like if Oklahoma wins, like they always do, but like their defense is just a total sieve. Um, yeah, so it certainly certainly could. I, I am very much here for it, uh, Dan. Why don't we talk a little bit about beer? Cool. Um, was on more of a New Jersey kick uh, this weekend. I went from upstate down to the shore for maybe the last time of summer. We'll see. Um, had a bunch of stuff from Keen. Um, their head high IPA is uh, fantastic, always good. Um, had their Golden Feelings, uh, which was a super drinkable uh, cream ale. Um, I've actually gotten like kind of in a weird like cream ale kick this summer. I don't know if I've just like found good ones, um, uh, but you know, no offense to, to the Jenny Cream fans out there, but these uh, you know last couple weeks have had ones that uh, don't taste like that. Um, which is nice. Uh, and then uh, some more stuff from Upstate as well, some None the Wiser uh, from Wolfalo, which is delicious. And right now I'm drinking a, a soup juice bomb. Nice. I've had juice bomb before. It's uh, it's pretty good. It's a rock solid, you know, very, very juicy IPA. Agreed. Uh, on my end, nothing really all that different. Um, had some more Pliny for President. It's the double dry hop version of uh, Pliny. Had some Citra Flash Mob and Row 2 Hill 56, all from Russian River. Uh, I'll finish those up this coming weekend. Yeah, I mean, unless uh, unless my wife decides to go into labor. And then in that case, uh, <laughs> we that won't be having this. Oh. Either way. I mean, I'm not going to bring them to the... I feel like it's a, it's a real dirtbag move to bring them to the hospital. So I'll probably... And since like they're rushing everybody out of... Uh, of the uh, maternity wing uh, lately. I feel like we'll be back here in 48 hours anyway. 
hey man, one person's dirtbag move is another person's I've already done this once move. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I had my father-in-law bring uh, a bottle of whiskey I had at my house. Oh, very uh, nice. Yeah, and uh, this time, you know, there's a lot of limitations, so it's pretty much just going to be us. <laughs> Nobody you know, can come or anything like that. Yeah, so I, I, I think it'll be less uh, less celebratory and more just relief that we that everybody's safe, healthy, happy, and we get out of there. Uh, you know, with with everybody's health also intact. For sure, fingers crossed. If it is this week, and if not, fingers crossed for whenever. You're not you're not due for a couple more weeks, but. Uh, Right. Yeah. For, for everybody's listening purposes, you'll uh, you'll you'll have a podcast by committee, um, of some sort, talking about the games. Because my uh, the the only way I have kids is if they're um in the middle of football season, <laughs> as is well documented. <laughs> yep. Two for two. Yeah. Uh, all right. Speaking of things related to Syracuse. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the orange in the NBA. Uh, we're going to have an article about just kind of how you can watch the remaining players uh, later in the week once the uh, Nuggets Jazz series uh, wraps up. But SU players have been, I feel like, I mean, I haven't done the math on this. I feel like this has been one of the more active uh, kind of playoffs for Syracuse players, at least from a like on the roster standpoint um, in recent memory even if most of them are not really participating a ton. Uh, MCW was inactive with a foot injury uh, during the Magic's first round loss to the Bucks. Dion Waiters is only played in three games in these playoffs. Um, he had a total of eight points. He had four points in, a, in game two. He had four points in game three. No, game four, sorry. Um Dan, I was kind of mentioning this before the podcast. I feel like the Lakers could use some more Dion just from the standpoint of like, depending on, like if they face the Rockets, like, yes, they have a size advantage over Houston, but at the same time, you're not going to be able to outshoot the Rockets. Like, especially when now the Westbrook's back, like you're, you're going to need someone who can hit threes and whether that's JR or whether that's Dion, like you're going to need someone who can knock down those shots and it can't always be like this, you know, shooter by committee and or like Danny Green if he's like, awake that night yeah it's, it's interesting that he uh that he isn't playing a little bit more um considering he played like pretty well in the uh the seeding games or whatever they were calling them he averaged uh, over 10 points a dm in those he was playing like 22 and a half minutes and obviously like nba teams shorten the rotations a bit in the playoffs but it's not like the backcourt options are great like caruso is a nice player he probably the best defender of those guys um but he's not a guy you're running out there 35 minutes a game um, or you don't want to at least. Um, so it's it's a little surprising that that Dion hasn't gotten a little bit more of a chance. Um, like you said, he played um, a, a couple of, uh, you know, he played 15 minutes in the second game in Portland and then played 13 and change in the fourth game, both wins, um, and then played like a, a minute in the, the loss to start the, se- the series. But I don't know if they just saw like a really bad matchup with like Lillard and McCollum and maybe they're but, like, I don't know if that's going to radically change against the Rockets with, with Harden there. But I don't think he's like a much worse option than the, uh, Who the they've guy been throwing out there. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like you just kind of ride the hot hand. So hopefully Dion did some more run. I think he, you know, played, played well enough to warrant it um, early on. Actually, he played sort of more than that because I, I missed, uh, two games he played uh, at the end. He actually averaged over 11 points, almost 12 um, from like the, the July 30th first game back through uh, the last seeding game, um, scoring 19 in the final one against the, uh, the Kings. So um, yeah, no, I, I don't see why he can't do a, like a little bit more, um, but the, the Lakers after that first game really rolled um, Carmelo almost, uh, almost won a game for the, Blazers with no Dame Lillard in game five, which was uh, a really cool moment for him. Um, and seeing him and LeBron embrace uh, at the end was pretty cool because they're super close. But um, yeah, overall, I think the Rockets was in a very different challenge uh, stylistically from the Blazers in the backcourt um, with Harden being who he is. So hopefully we'll get to see uh, a little more Dion in that series. Yeah, I mean, and maybe it's OKC. Who knows? Uh, you'll you'll know when you listen to this, potentially, if uh, if OKC wins on Monday night. Uh, we're banking on the Rockets, if only because the Rockets just laid waste to uh, the Thunder in uh, in Russell's first game back. So yeah, that was rough. That was yeah, that was, it was a very rough game for for, for OKC, a, a weird plucky team that uh, 
at, at that on the uh, on the back of of Chris Paul and, uh, and and various other contributors has managed to somehow be a like fun five seed yet one that I couldn't really tell you anything about their style of play just by watching a lot of their games. Yeah, they're like I mean they're they're like one of the better story. Like, it, it's so funny. Billy Billy Donovan was getting crushed his first basically his first year or two uh, at the NBA level, and you you like get rid of uh, the star players and. Uh, I mean, Chris Paul is still a star, but he's not like, you know, you're, yeah. you're not ideally starting your franchise with Chris Paul at this point. He's like a nice veteran add-on, um, but he's just so, apparently he's just so good as a leader that he can really will players to be better than they are. Um, but people were talking about that team, like potentially trading Paul before the deadline and just like tanking this year. And instead they're about as plucky as he can get. Um, Shea Gil, uh, Gilgis Alexander's awesome. He had a, a bad game five, but uh, our game, yeah, game five. Um, but generally really good. Dennis Schroeder's like found himself as a third guard in the rotation, like a really quality player. So um, yeah, it wouldn't shock me if they push it to game seven, even if they steal the last two, but I, I just think the, the Rockets have too much firepower. Yeah, I agree. I know I want to talk a little bit about Mello and then some Jeremy Grant. Um, would also note that O'Shea Brissett did not play in the first round. He's back in Orlando now, um, but I think he's always quarantined for a bit. So also we probably won't see much of him given what the first game looked like in that Boston uh, Toronto series. Uh, but in any case, uh, bubble mellow closed out with uh, 11, 11 points in the first game, two in the second, but then 20 in the third, 16 in the fourth, and then 27 in the, uh, in, in, in the finale. Mello was actually like over the last three games, he shot 45% um, game three, 40% in game four. Uh, he shot uh, 56% in game five. Um, including three of four from three uh, and six, seven from the line, seven rebounds. Like that was like kind of a vintage mellow effort. Um, it's a vintage, like vintage Knicks mellow when he was hitting threes and still like putting up solid numbers. But like, e- even with a plus minus looking bad, um, I felt like mellow put in about as good of a defensive effort as you could have expected from him at this point in his career. Um, I felt like he, he definitely added another two years to his probably NBA career um, with this effort. Cause I think he showed himself fully capable of being a supporting player. Like even in a game, when you think about it, even in a game when Dame didn't play, he still only took 16 shots. Like he deferred. Uh, I felt like he got Gary Trent jr. Involved and like other players involved, you know, again, he's, he's, he's not like distributing a ton. He only had one assist, but uh, I, I did feel like overall he, uh, he acquitted himself. Well, I think whether it was with the Blazers or somebody else, I feel like you'll see a decent amount of mellow last next year. Um, and the year after, even if it's more of like a six man role and, and the type of like hot hand off the bench. Yeah. I mean, he's mellow. We all know who mellow is. He's a kind of a volume shooter, even though he was incredibly efficient here, but even so like he needs his, his shots up. Um, he's a decent rebounder. He's uh, you know, you can harp on the defense. It's it's not what he's known for at all. Whether or not he's like an outwardly like horrific defender, like people want to say um, you don't want him to be like, guarding LeBron in the front court. Um, and the Blazers have way more issues beyond Mello in that, uh, that department. Um, yeah. You know what? Actually, it was smart. Just bury, to be honest, bury Mello against LeBron. LeBron's going to score 30 anyway. So you might as well put your worst defender up against, or maybe worst defender up against LeBron, who's going to score no matter what, who he's against. And, and then put your better defenders on other players. Yeah. I mean, the, the problem is like Gary Trent's very young. I think he could get there. I think he could be a good defensive player. It's just like a lot to ask of him. Whiteside sucks um, defensively. He can block shots. He doesn't guard anyone. Um, Nurkic is not a great like defensive Nurkic, guy. Nurkic looked like hell in that series. Yeah. I mean, the problem is like when he's facing up against like Anthony Davis, when they moved when they go small and Davis is, is getting most of the run at the, the quote unquote five, cause they kind of don't positionless. Um, even that though, like you looked at him. I mean, I agree with you, but you looked at that. You looked at some of what he was doing, even without anyone near him. I mean, he couldn't even like pull down rebounds half the time. Yeah. And part of that, I mean, I assume part of that is that he's still not yeah. 100%. I mean, he looked pretty good in the, the lead up games and he wasn't yeah. supposed to play this year after suffering that brutal injury last season. Um, so the fact that he played at all and looked decent for stretches was like a nice sign. And I think he, when he's healthy, he's a really good player. Um, but they, they need like a guy who can just square up and defend. Like they need a, a, a three and D wing real bad. That being said, I think I hope they bring Melo back. I think he's a fun fit on that team. I think the Blazers are fun just generally, um, especially once you get Dame healthy again, McCollum healthy because he was playing through like a pretty bad back injury most of the the entire series. Um, 
I think Melo finally learned really. I think it helps that he had like Dame, who everyone just cites as like such a, a super leader um, and probably a very different guy than like Harden and Russell um, at his two last stops. But like he clearly didn't know exactly how he had to fit in and like fill that role for OKC or Houston. Um, and it seems like he just kind of got it like with Portland. I don't know if like being out for this league for a year humbled him the way he said, or if he just like worked on his game and worked on focusing on like the getting those open shots and, and, you know, sitting out in the corner and playing off of a guy like Dame who can drive and kick so well. Um, but it seems like a pretty ideal fit for him, at least offensively. So I, I hope he resigns there. And even if he doesn't, I think, I, I don't think we'd have to wait another year to see Melo on another team. I think he'd prove that he can be an offensive, uh, offensive asset for anyone uh, pretty well during this whole thing. So, you know, hopefully we get a couple more years of him because there's no reason why he can't have like a nice graceful exit um, as a guy who can store for a couple more years. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think he's going to get the retirement tour that like Derek and Wade got, but at the same time, like, yeah, he clearly showed that he can still play. I mean, obviously was helped out a bit by, you know, a reason not playing um, in the bubble. Also, uh, you know, some injuries and lost time for guys like Collins and Nurkic. Like, I think he still fits on the Blazers, but I, I do feel like he could potentially have a bigger role somewhere else. And I don't know where that some somewhere else is. Um, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe if, if, if pop moves on from the Spurs, maybe that's a place to go. Uh, like it's, he'll end up somewhere. I, I think you're right. I, I yeah. just, I, I don't know where, and I don't know if the blade, like the blazers work from a cultural perspective and from a, like, um, like actually think the vibe of the organization is correct for him. But I also think that he might, if they feel like if they, if they start feeling like they need to involve him too much. Um, I think that that could potentially hold them back a little bit. Yeah, it's um, it's also it's also just really worth noting. Um, it's when there's you know so often so much critique about Melo, um, and not that I think the players are always like the best age of everything, but the fact that he has so much respect from his fellow players and like they treat him more like kind of the all-time great that Syracuse fans that uh, think he is uh, than like a lot of other fans and some media and whatnot. Um, I think that is telling. Like, there's a lot of respect for Melo in the league. Even when he was sitting out, I think a lot of guys were calling, like, wondering why outwardly. Um, so clearly the guys who play against him kind of know what he can do. Uh, and the fact that he has, like, you know, so much respect from guys like LeBron and Chris Paul and, and that whole crew. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think uh, – obviously, like, people speculate he'd be on the Lakers, and I just don't think there was, like, a fit there this year, um, considering, you know, all the guys at that position they have. Um but I think that there's no doubt that he'll he'll fit in somewhere just because he was just too productive. Um, and again, he really almost won that. I mean, if if they had won that game five, which was in play until like probably five minutes left in the fourth quarter, it was pretty much done. Um, but like he was a guy keeping him in that game with Batalum making some pretty wild buckets. But otherwise, like, you know, the fact that he could do that against a team that was really looking to end that series and get on um, was was telling. So de- definitely a good sign for him. Um even if he didn't win, go out, you know, winning this season, I think uh, we for sure have not seen the last of him in an NBA uniform. I would agree. Uh, last but not least, uh, Jeremy Grant. Uh, Grant's had an interesting year overall. It felt like he's made a lot of great progress as a shooter, uh, which is like the one real like hole in his game. Uh, he's a pretty solid defender, a uh, guy who can usually gets the line. Um, in the six games so far in this series, uh, 19 points, 8 points, 6 points, uh, 12, 13, and then 18 um, in the Game 6 win uh, that, that Denver pulled off. Um, plus minus isn't great, but I also think single game plus minus is kind of overrated Yeah, um, as a stat. Uh, you know, it is interesting to see, like, he scored 18, uh, you know, in, in Game 6. But I would say, like, probably, like, one of his lesser all-around games. At the same time, six for nine from the floor, four, seven from three. Like, you probably don't – I think in most games, if I think if you have Jeremy Grant needing to take nine-plus shots, I feel like you're probably in a – probably in a rough spot. Um, but if you look at the series, at least, uh, you know, the games that he took the most shots, um, they actually won all of them, which is yeah, interesting. He just like kind of like he was at Syracuse. He kind of feels like a guy you don't want him creating half court offense. Um, I don't think, but in terms of, I mean, he's just super athletic. Get him out in the break. Um, he's kind of, you know, 
incredible going towards the rim without like a full defense in front of him. He's become a pretty, uh, pretty good three point shooter, as you noted, um, which is a really nice sign. I don't think you want him taking that many of those shots, but if he can knock down like anywhere between like the mid thirties to like low forties, you're, you're going to take that for sure. Um, so just like that, that just adds a lot to his game. Even if he's not going to be a guy you're looking for in the half court all that often, if he can be a trailer or, or do anything like that and make himself an asset on the wing, um, that's great. And then we know he's a really good defender. He present, provides shot blocking um, at a wing position, which is always valuable. Um, yeah. I, I think you're going to see games where he doesn't score that much, but it, it's just very clear that, that people around the league love his game. Um, I think it's not crazy to say he's the best Syracuse guy in the NBA right now. No offense <laughs> to Melo. Um, and then especially if he plays like this and like he is in the playoffs, he's shooting almost 42% from three. Um, he could probably, I'm surprised he hasn't rebounded more, um, but he's blocking over a shot a game. He's throwing almost 13 a game. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who's going to give you like, you know, 20 points regularly, but I think he's going to be a guy as long as his athleticism doesn't like kind of fall by the wayside. Like he's going to be a guy who is averaging double digit points for a long time. And he's probably going to stick to the league for like, you know, over 10 years, 12 years maybe more. Um, so I, I think Jeremy's going to be around for a while and he's always going to be a, you know, an asset to a team. Um, even late in his career, I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of those guys that just like always finds himself on a playoff roster. Yeah. I mean, I, I honestly think like it, it should be talked about and written about more like Grant's like rise as a player is so weird and like, it's weird. It's interesting. Like it's not typical where he, he's a guy who was kind of tossed around a bit at the beginning of his career, like he, he was on, you know, one of those, uh, one of those early process 76ers squads. Um, he was getting minutes and people kind of chalked up, you know, the statistical uh, achievements to uh, getting minutes. He was traded over to OKC. Um, OKC, he actually started then putting together a more, uh, more sound all around game. Uh, OKC signed him to a really solid extension, uh, three years, 27 mil. Uh, and then he was shipped out to, uh, to the, the Nuggets and the Nuggets clearly knew the value that he brought. Um, again, like you said, he's not going to be this guy who controls your offense or you want to run your offense through, but he, he sees someone who uh, can play well on both sides of the floor. Um, and I don't think he's ever going to evolve into a 3 and D wing, but he definitely, the fact that yeah, he's hitting over 40% uh, threes in the playoffs right now, like that's insane. Um, and, and that's definitely something that, uh, that, that only adds value to him. And I think right now he's uh, – I know he's he has a player option for 2020. I wouldn't be surprised if he turns it down. I think the big thing that he's probably going to wait to hear is uh, is what the salary cap looks like. Obviously, uh, there's a lot of teams with cap space um, this off season. I know the Knicks being one of them, um, but realistically, like if the cap goes down uh, a decent amount, like he might want to just hang on, uh, collect his 9.3 mil uh, this year. And then, you know, cash in in 2021, like then he's an unrestricted free agent, the whole deal. Like, I, I, I do think he's an interesting case because I, I wonder, I wonder what the market is for him. And I wonder what the, I wonder like, what's the max he can make, especially when, you know, he's probably, I think his ceiling from a stat line perspective is probably like 15 and eight, maybe. Yeah, that sounds about right. I think if he was a free agent that the year the cap spiked and everyone was in crazy contracts, he would have gotten a crazy contract. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm looking. Does Spotrac not have the the contract projection thing for NBA that they do for NFL? I I don't look at the NFL stuff. I only know. Yeah, I think for the most part on Spotrac, I've only looked at like NBA. So I would assume no. That's weird. Does the NFL they do like a and maybe it says he's not up for free agency. I mean, I guess technically he's not. Although he could very easily be. Um, they have like an NFL like projected like value thing. I don't see it for NBA. Maybe they just haven't done it yet. But yeah, um, I don't know. I think it's a, it's a tough call because of I mean the salary cap potentially going down. Um, if it was going to grow like its normal amount, I think he would definitely opt out. Just as I think he's he's probably a, a you know mid teens player. Um, I think I mean he's only twenty six, which is crazy. It feels like he was at Syracuse, you know, a decade ago. Um, but I, there's no reason why you know he couldn't become. Um, he's playing thirty four minutes for a playoff team. Now the other thing is that I think Denver is a really good fit for him, and we've talked about um, you know NBA. I think fit matters arguably more than any other sport, um, especially like when it comes to guys getting drafted. Um, 
you know, we've seen so many Syracuse guys, Tyler Lydon, one of them, in a similar position where, like, he got drafted by the Nuggets at, like, the worst possible time to go to that team, while Grant signed with that team, and they're very different players, um, at a time where, like, they have two guys who do all the ball handling. Jamal Murray's kind of an emerging, like, star at the guard position, sort of 50 the other night. Um, uh, Jokic runs the offense a lot of the time. Like, it's uh, it's just – uh, you know, a really good position for him to be in as like a guy who doesn't need the ball in his hands. So it might make sense for him just to play another year in that system, just to like continue to to put up such impressive numbers. Yeah. I mean, put up impressive numbers, maybe make a deep playoff run. Um, we'll see what this turns into for them. Like I think there were high expectations for Denver going into the season and, you know, obviously a seven game loss to the jazz, not necessarily uh, what they were banking on. Um for this playoff run, especially after getting the second round last year. Uh, but yeah, I'm curious about Grant. I feel like he's smarter than he's, he's smart enough not to sign with the Knicks. Um, but I feel like if there's any rumors that, I mean, like personally, I would love him to be on the Knicks. Um, but I also feel like, it would you though? I mean, no, from the standpoint of like, I know what would happen next. Um, also like we're kind of loaded with bigs as, as, as previously mentioned, since we don't know how to construct a roster, but uh, I, I don't. I actually don't think he would fit on the roster either, which is like good because that means that like it means they'll offer him money, but he might be smart enough to just not do it. Also, like, does he want to play for? Does he want to play forty-seven minutes a game somehow? Yeah, well, that, that, that's the other thing is I can't wait until until Mitchell Robinson is 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 playing is is playing his uh, is like twenty-fourth minute with his fifth foul <laughs> <laughs> and, and fouls out in the first half. It's gonna be dope. Oh, the Knicks experience. I mean, at least he's won some games as a coach before, but with the Knicks, it doesn't really mean anything. No, it doesn't. Like, okay, uh, like, so I guess when we wrap up here, ideally, like, where where do you think – do you think Grant is in the ideal situation right now with Denver, or do you think that there is a more ideal place for him to play? I think Denver is, like, up there. I think you just – if you're him, like, you want to be in a spot where you don't need the ball. You can kind of run and let the offense come to you. Um, and that's like that kind of team. I think OKC was also that kind of team. Um, so I, I don't know if there's like an obvious place now. Like, I, I don't know that he'd, you know, thrive in like a more stagnant um, offense or in anything where like no. you have less, less like impressive ball handlers around him. So, no, I think Denver's like one of those squads where like he really slides in super well. Um, that being said, I don't know what their salary cap situation is. I don't know if they might be up for extending him. Um, but I like I like the fit there. So uh, and uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't hate if he stays there. I just think that's a fun team as well. Yeah, I think I mean I don't have the stat, I don't have the salary cap in front of me, but I feel like between uh, Jokic, Murray, like, there's definitely some big contracts on that team. And if they're not big, they're coming up big. They're going to be like Jamal yeah. Murray's about to get paid sometime soon. Yeah. Like, so big. like yeah, like and if not by Denver, then the Knicks will super max him or something. Uh, and then he'll proceed to score 15 points a game for the rest of his career. But yeah, I, I, I think that like, at first I was thinking Lakers, but then another, the, I think the offense is too stagnant and like, I mean, it, it's good because it defers to LeBron actually lets LeBron play more three maybe. But in any case, um, I actually think one of the better fits would be, um, would be Houston and, and plug, him in, plug him in as a small ball five. And like, now you're actually like cooking with gas there. Yeah, I mean, I think the only the, my only concern with Houston is that the offense is like it's kind of slow because um, it's just so much dribbling from Harden. Uh, that being said, doesn't mean that it's be a bad it'd be a bad fit. I just don't know. I don't know. I it just it's also, it's just not that much fun. And maybe I'm just kind of projecting. <laughs> I, I don't know that. I think it might be a decent fit. It's just like I appreciate Houston's offense. I just don't love it. I see. I, I actually like you. Like, that, that's all I do when I play NBA 2K is I play Houston's offense basically. <laughs> Yeah, it's, not, I'm, not I'm, with Houston, but other. Teams. I'm not the guy who like yells about it the whole time. Like, I have the game on now. Um, Houston OKC just started, but like, I don't know. It, it's it's not the most aesthetically pleasing form. That being said, when like you get a hardened game where he's just unstoppable, it is you know I still definitely appreciate it. Um, I, I think I think Denver's is more um, aesthetically pleasing though for sure. Or like okay. you know a Golden State would be awesome for him. Not I know you have a, a opposition to that, but stylistically, like imagine him just being able to, to get out and run with uh, and all that space that he could have to cut with they like can't Steph and Clay, him. Not healthy. 
No, no, for definitely not because they are can't afford anyone for a while. What, what about Toronto? Interesting. Um, I mean, I guess he kind of overlaps like, too much with with. I, I feel like he overlaps too much with Siakam. Siakam and Ananobi. Yeah, yeah, I think they have a lot of guys that are like him. I think he would fit there. Um, I just think the minutes would be an issue. But like, if you like cleared out, if like Ananobi wasn't on the team, then okay. certainly possible. All right, this is, this is a pretty productive conversation. I actually, feel like actually feel like we we land on a couple interesting places for 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 Grant. Watch he uh, actually knew this would be a bad fit. I was, I was about to say watch yeah that your team just signs him for like the vet minimum for for for, for a one year run, but I don't feel like he would fit from a like no don't get your money. on the roster. I would love him to be on the Nets. Don't get your money, Jeremy. <laughs> like he we can't afford him. Um, don't get paid. <laughs> like if you're not gonna if you're not gonna opt in with the Nuggets, like I, I don't want Jeremy coming to play for the Nets for a couple million at 27 years old. So. Um, that being said, like if there's a weird cir- circumstance where um, we trade Lavert or something and clear up some space for some reason, um, yeah, I, I mean, if he wants to be a net, I'd be certainly happy about it. I just, I think that'd be a weird move. Agreed. All right, Dan. Uh, anything else before we depart here and uh, and count down to uh, the Syracuse football kickoff next weekend? No. Um... Uh, you know, we should probably mention rest in peace to John Thompson. Um, I think it was, uh, it was nice to see Syracuse people being, you know, I think there's a lot to, there was a lot gained from John Thompson's presence as much as like, you know, it's a heated rivalry and, you know, we, we yell about Georgetown all the time, but I think with a lot of rivalries, like you don't want those people to not have it, like their place in history made your, your, uh, experience better. Um, and in sports, like you need rivalries. So, um, RP to him, RP to Chad Bozeman, just an absolute tragedy last week. Um, Lute Olson, lots of unfortunate news. Uh, but yeah, just just hopefully we, we start to get uh, something's turning for the better here because it's been it's been tough. I mean this 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 year's just been an effing ringer, as most people would attest to, but I did feel like last week between everything that's happening in uh, Wisconsin and obviously around the country and everything that you know then happened Friday night with, with Chadwick Bozeman and then you end up with the uh, Lute Olson news, the John Thompson news. Like, there's just a lot going on. I, I, I'd very much like it to stop. Yeah. So, yeah, glad, glad Syracuse people were, seemed like to actually understand the moment. And not that I, you know, think we're like some monsters or anything for the most part, but internet people get weird. And right. it seemed like people were pretty respectful overall. Um, and you would hope that, you know, Georgetown fans would do the same for us uh, in a similar situation. So, hopefully, we don't find out for a long time. Yeah, it's just uh, there's also not that many of them. So, so second Jordan, yeah. but RIP John Thompson. And yeah, just uh, looking forward to hopefully getting uh, getting our football game in in 13 days. Uh, I know the numbers on campus, COVID wise, were pretty positive this week. Um, not positive in terms of tests, but positive in terms of like a lot of not a lot of people tested positive. This was awful, just awful English by me. Um, Syracuse students seem to do a decent job after like the whole thing on the quad. So. Kudos to them because a lot of colleges are having a lot of issues and hopefully that means we can go forward with this football season. Agreed, agreed. Uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy News and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, uh, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go Orange. Go Orange.